Welcome to episode 14 of Learn Me Right. Today we're speaking with Ezra Nebone. Welcome, Ezra. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Hi, both. Thank you so much for having me. Can we start by you just telling us a little bit about your current role? Yes, so I am in my final year of my PhD at Monash University. I'm enrolled in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, yeah, so PhD student there. And then I also work on the side of that as a research assistant at the Monash Bioethics Centre, where we're involved um, on a project looking at the ethical and regulatory aspects of mitochondrial donation. Congratulations on being in the final year of your PhD. Thank you. <laughs> I have some rapid fire questions for you. Uh, first, what are your pronouns? She, her. Thank you. What is the current highlight of your year? Oh, okay. I I think it's going to be going to Ashray, but I haven't done it yet. But I'm going in June, which is like a European Society of Human Reproduction um, and Embryology. So I think that and it being in Copenhagen. So I think that would be the highlight of the year. Did you say Copenhagen? Yeah. Oh, I love that city. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, I'm very fair. Absolutely fair. That's your highlight of the year. Um, next up is what is your coffee order or hot drink order? I love that so much. It is an oat milk flat white. I think oat milk is the perfect milk to go with coffee, personally. So I approve. I, <laughs> Not I agree. That looking for it. No, I'm <laughs> glad. I'm glad. <laughs> Finally, what song would you sing at karaoke? Anything Taylor Swift. Good answer. Yeah, specifically the Speak Now album. I think that's like my current obsession. Yeah. Is that the most recent album? No, that was this one. Speak Now was like 2010 or something. It's (laughs) that long ago. (laughs) Yes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for answering these rapid fire questions. Um, I think we'll get started with our first main question of the day, which is what is your current research area or topic of interest? Oh, so buckle in. So my research area of interest, all that I'm doing my PhD in specifically, is how we regulate surrogacy arrangements in Australia and whether or not the regulations are meeting the needs of all those involved. So that includes the surrogates, the intended parents, and then also the children or the individuals that are being born as a result. And so when we say, when I say regulations, I include anything from like the laws, the policies, best practice, professional guidelines, that. So Let's dive a little bit into surrogacy now, which I'm obsessed with. I think it's so interesting. So surrogacy, obviously a big celebrity issue, but it's basically when someone else carries and gives birth, carries a pregnancy and gives birth under the premise that the intended parents are going to be the ones that actually raise the child as their own. Now we see surrogacy pretty much ever since around like the 70s and 80s. And since then, there's been like a really steep increase in the use of it around the world. And there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, we had advancements in technology which actually allowed a surrogacy arrangement to occur without the need for sexual intercourse. So we had the development of artificial insemination and that removed the need for um, sexual intercourse to have a pregnancy. And then further technological developments meant that we also had the development of IVF, which means that not only can a surrogate carry a pregnancy, but she can also carry a pregnancy which she's not genetically related to the child. So that kind of made surrogacy a lot more of like a viable option for people. And ever since then, it's just been on a really steep increase. Some other contributing factors to that are the fact that we've seen a drop in the number of um, babies that have been put up for adoption. And also we're seeing greater um, social acceptance in like non-traditional families. So same-sex parents, for example, or single parents as well. 
Now, surrogacy is very ethically contentious. Um, it raises a lot of ethical issues. For example, you know, is it in the best interest of the child? Does it exploit women? Does paying a woman, is that modifying her body and the birth of a child as well? A lot of complicated questions, and these were also raised um, actually by feminist scholars all the way back in like the 70s and 80s, and we still haven't even really answered them today. Um, and I think that's really obvious when we look at how all the different countries in the world regulate surrogacy. So not one country really does it the same. It's very different. For example, Europe, there's no consistency. So a lot of countries will actually prohibit all forms of surrogacy, for example, Germany, France, um, and then we have some countries which will allow it, but then they might put restrictions on the surrogates receiving payments. They have to do it um, what we call altruistically. Putting my quotation marks up, listeners, because that term is contested. Um, and so that's what we do here in Australia. Surrogacy is legal, but the surrogate can't receive financial reward. The UK also does a similar thing. Then the other kind of form of regulatory responses that we also see is what we call commercial surrogacy. And again, quotation marks. Um, and that's when the surrogate is allowed to receive financial reward. And some states in the United States um, do this, for example, as well. Um, so the kind of like big rationale for my research is the fact that because we have all these really big different regulatory responses, it's actually created this globalized industry where if someone lives in one country, they can't access it or they don't want to access it in the country, they can travel to another country where it's a lot easier and quicker to obtain. Um, and the globalized surrogacy industry is a massive, massive industry, lots of money in it, lots of third-party companies that facilitate these international arrangements. And Australia is one of the biggest contributors to this market. So for every one child that's born through a surrogacy arrangement in Australia, four are born overseas through Australian intended parents. So it's about 80% of Australians who are seeking surrogacy will actually go overseas. And then to put a number on that, uh, in 2020, we had around 90 children born here in Australia, and then we had, I think it was like 275 that were actually born overseas. So whilst we do legalise surrogacy in Australia, we're a huge exporter of intended parents, and that's kind of like the main crux of why. Thank you so much for that overview, and it was really interesting because my very, very limited knowledge of surrogacy is really just about that altruistic and commercial distinction. That was sort of all I knew about this really before coming into the podcast, and that we only have in quotation marks altruistic surrogacy here can you talk a little bit more about does that contribute to why so many people are going overseas and some other reasons or factors that your research is showing about why that happens and why that might be a problem yes definitely to start off with that i'll answer why australians go overseas and then i'll talk about why it's a problem so Two years ago, 2021, we surveyed 319 Australians who were considering or undergoing surrogacy, or they have done it in the past. Um, and we basically asked them, well, where are you considering? Where have you gone? And we asked them to kind of list their reasons. What we found is that the, there's four main reasons why people go overseas, and these all relate to barriers to doing surrogacy here in Australia. And these are that the process in Australia is just too long and too difficult. It's a really lengthy process. The second one is that we have unenforceable surrogacy arrangements. And so what that means here in Australia is that a surrogacy contract is not legally binding. Um, so you can't force a surrogate to relinquish the child upon birth, but also you can't force the intended parents to actually parent the child either. In some overseas countries, um, we do have these enforceable surrogacy arrangements. And to 
go back into your question then about altruistic versus commercial. Typically speaking, but this is a generalization, under an altruistic model, arrangements are unenforceable, but then in a commercial model where there is that financial transaction, the arrangements tend to be enforceable. The other two barriers that we see here in surrogacy in Australia are a shortage of surrogates um, and then also a lack of professional assistance. And again, both of those two things here tie into the altruistic model of surrogacy. So there's no, because, because we don't allow surrogate payment, there's not a lot of women coming forward for it. Um, well, I mean, that's kind of a very reductionist view on it, but just take it for now. Um, and the second point is that because we also don't allow surrogate payment, we also don't allow kind of third-party intermediaries to profit off of organising this privacy arrangement. So there's no, it's not a lot of professional assistance here, but they can access that overseas. So we are seeing a lot of these reasons because of the altruistic model here that we do, they do end up going overseas where they can access um, a bit more of the commercial. Important to note though, the reason why I kind of, we always use quotation marks around altruistic commercial is because it's not a good way of looking at it, I don't think. And the reason is, is because you can still have a surrogate in a so-called commercial arrangement and she can still be altruistically motivated just because she's receiving financial reward does not negate her motivations, which often, insert, especially in the United States and Canada, for example, they're, ultra, they're, they're doing it so that they can help people. They're not doing it just for the money. Um, so yeah, that, and also that's, that's pretty much why I say quotation marks. Um, and then in terms of the problems that we see with international surrogacy, I just want to make a false, just a preface by saying that in terms of the evidence, most outcomes of surrogacy arrangements are really, really positive. And I want to stress that because surrogacy is such a controversial issue and there are many people who are completely anti the process. But generally speaking, the evidence shows that surrogates and intended parents are really satisfied with their arrangement and the children that are being born, whilst it is limited evidence, it does show that they, they're either indifferent or they're, um, they think positively about, their, about being born through surrogacy. But what happens with international surrogacy is because it's unregulated, there's no laws regulating the practice, and often countries, um, and often countries that are quite popular for surrogacy for foreign foreigners, and they're quite affordable. There are some risks with their surrogacy practices there when you consider it to a country like Australia, where we have quite strict regulations around clinical practices for assisted reproductive. For example, there's something when you do an embryo transfer in any pregnancy, you can choose the number of embryos that you want to transfer. In Australia, for a surrogacy arrangement, we only allow the transfer of one embryo. And the reason is, is because if you transfer more than one, you increase the risk of a twin pregnancy, and that has increases the risk of adverse pregnancy complications and health outcomes for the the woman carrying the pregnancy and the child. So we only allow the transfer of one embryo. But in overseas countries, that's not the case. And they will often transfer multiple embryos to the surrogate to increase the chance of the embryo transfer. So in our survey of intended parents that we did back in 2021, we also found it was about 41% of international arrangements that did an embryo transfer use, use this multiple embryo transfer. Um, and we also saw higher rates of twin pregnancies as well. It's about double that of what we see here in Australia. So if the so there's just these extra additional risks associated with international surrogacy. There are also a few more as well, which I'll just quickly touch on. Um, in Australia, we 
don't allow something called an anonymous gamete donation, which is basically where if you donate your eggs for sperm for someone to use to create a child, the child that's then born, once they turn 18, they're legally able to access identifying information about their donor, and that's to protect their right to identity and to know information about their genetic heritage. Not all countries follow that law, um, and some countries actually they mandate the opposite, so they mandate anonymous gamete donation. And so we also saw in our survey, we also saw that a lot of intended parents that are doing these overseas surrogacy arrangements are using these anonymous donors. And so that means that when the child is then they're grown up, they might not be able to access any identifying information about their donor in their best interest. So there are there's these extra kind of additional risks. Um, and there's also the whole another side of the coin, which I won't go on to for now for time, but you can ask me about it later for time. But there's also the risk of potential surrogate exploitations in certain contexts. But I'll leave it there because, um, which I can't talk about, but we just have so much. This is so interesting. I just like I knew about um the the uh, genetic heritage in the um you, when you turn eighteen, you have to be able to identify it now, and that came in a little while ago. Um, but I just it never occurred to me how this would impact surrogacy and the way people go about um and the reasons they go overseas mm -hmm. uh, to become and and get surrogates. I was just wondering in your research whether you found a particular model in an international, like internationally or within Australia, or just some key takeaways that are doing the best for everyone involved, um, and whether you could speak to that potentially. Yes, great question. And now I'm going to kind of do a bit of a 180, so bear with me. I feel like I've just spoken about everything that Australia does badly in terms of the barriers they put up. But I've also just done, uh, at the moment, my supervisors and I are working on a qualitative in, um, study with um, anyone involved with surrogacy process, so professionals, surrogates, intended parents. And we're asking them what they think about Australian regulations, what they think about other countries, what can we do to better support people here in Australia. And... What we're actually seeing is that despite these barriers that Australia does put up, we actually have it, we actually do it very well here, here in Australia in terms of protecting everyone's best interests. So Australia has certain requirements that the intended parents and the surrogates must meet before conception can take place. And these include counselling and legal advice. Um, they also have to enter like a surrogacy Britain contract in many states. Um, it's not legally binding, but it basically just gets them to kind of talk through everything, put it on a piece of paper, which they can then refer to later down the track. So it just means that everyone is kind of on the same page and through the counselling, they can also talk about, you know, okay, cool. We're about to enter potentially a lifelong relationship with these people. We might not even know. We need to talk about, okay, cool. What are your relationship expectations? What are your expectations post-birth? Everyone's kind of getting on the same page. Not all countries do that. So Australia, in terms of protecting the interests of everyone, actually does it really, really well. And the, the participants in my interview studies were really strongly opposed to moving towards a commercial model here in Australia. Because these surrogates are altruistic, they're doing it because they want to help someone. Really beautiful friendships are formed in this process. Um, and also because we don't have any professional assistance, people go into Facebook groups um, for information and they're relying on other people that have been through the process. There's a, it's actually like a quite a nice community um, that helps and it's very supportive. So there are, in terms of like Australia, we actually do a lot of things well. But there was also some definite things that I think that we could be doing 
better. Um, and so what we, so it's kind of like we want the best of both worlds. We want to be supporting everyone as best as we can, but then we also want to try to improve access a little bit as much as we can without going towards too much towards a commercial model, I think. That's off the debate. Um, but so there are some things that we could do to improve access. For example, um, IVF Medicare rebates aren't uh, for patients undergoing surrogacy. They're excluded from accessing them, which is just completely discriminatory. So we're trying to change that. There are also discriminatory laws around access. For example, same-sex male couples can't access surrogacy in Western Australia, which is just stupid. It's just discriminatory. It's just the laws haven't been updated in ages. Um, Similarly, in the ACT, single individuals can't access surrogacy. So there are these little things that we can do to kind of help better support people access surrogacy here in Australia. That will in turn make it better for the intended parents, but it will also reduce the number of intended parents going overseas. So that's going to be better for the children that have, or yeah, the children that have been born because then they can walk and be born here in Australia where we protect their interests, I think, a little bit better. Um, but we are... There's still always going to be people traveling. I don't think, um, unless we went to a full commercial model, the demand and the supply for surrogacy, I don't think will ever be matched here in Australia. Um, that's just, that's fine. That's That just might be the case. Um, so there's always going to be people traveling to overseas countries. And then I think we should need to make sure that they're getting the information that they need to make the best choices possible. An intended parent is not going to go overseas and make a choice that's going to then deliberately put their surrogate or their child at risk. Like they're they're not evil, like or anything like that. Um, they want the best for everyone, but it might just be that they just don't know. There's no information support services here in Australia, really, apart from a few couple um, like non-profit charity organisations, which are doing a wonderful job. But we need to better be supporting people to access correct information, and then they will make the right choices. Um, the final point I want to touch on is um, for surrogates. So the way that we work out. They can't get paid financial reward, but they can actually be reimbursed for all their like pregnancy, et cetera, related expenses. But what we found in the interviews is that surrogates are actually being left out of pocket because it's actually really hard to figure out all the, the pregnancy related expenses that you might be using. Like, for example, you're pregnant, you might need some more on the go meals, muesli bars, snacks, things like that. What, it's really hard to like work out, okay, what's extra that I'm buying on top of my usual family grocery list that's for the pregnancy? Like you're not going to sit there and work it out and then bill the intended parents for like half of the, your grocery list. It's a bit too complicated. And also surrogates, they don't want to put all those costs on the intended parents because surrogacy is costing them on average in Australia around 70000 So it's a lot of money. So if surrogates can kind of, um, you know, take on a few of those costs a little bit, they're more than happy to do so. But surrogates are doing so much. Like they're doing the most amazing gift. And a lot of the surrogacy participants in my interviews did actually mention that perhaps we could be going towards more of a compensated model here in Australia. Um, and I think this is kind of answering the question. A compensated model of surrogacy, we don't, I'm just trying to think. I don't think there's not like a country that's coming to my mind specifically that I'm like, they do it exactly like how we should do it. I think here in Australia, we need to learn from other countries, pick out little things that work well. But a compensated model would be maybe giving the surrogate, say, $10,000 in recognition of the time, the labour, the effort, the pain involved with um, being a surrogate. It wouldn't be enough. I mean, I'm just throwing $10,000 around. I haven't actually sat down and thought it through, so just take that with a grain of salt. But it wouldn't be enough that's going to be considered a financial inducement, but it's kind of just like a payment in respect. Um, and I think... 
I'm not saying we definitely should do that here in Australia, but I think we need to be having a conversation around it because commercial surrogacy is criminalised and it's so stigmatised here in this country that the government's never actually really had a proper debate about how or whether surrogates should get any payment, whether in the form of compensation or financial inducement. That's so interesting. It sounds like we need to do some research where we interview people who have given birth and asked how much money like do you think would compensate you for the pregnancy that you went through mm. um and rather than you know trying to sit down and try and figure out ourselves well for me never had a child wouldn't actually know <laughs> it might be a really awesome like opportunity to have discussions with people and um see what they have to say about the situation rather than you know government doing a top down here's a here's a, a cost that's going to be too much or too less to be involved yeah, I think the government needs to listen to those people that are that have been involved with surrogacy. A lot of the so there's been heaps of government inquiries in Australia that have looked into surrogacy, but they, I think, because it's so hard to say. But I think because and also I don't want to say anything too like contentious, whatever. But um, I think because surrogacy is so contentious and controversial. Maybe they're not really listening to those that are actually involved, is what I would say in the nicest way possible. Um, could I ask you a question? You mentioned yeah. that WA doesn't allow two males to have surrogacy as an option. Does that mean that each state does it a little bit differently in Australia? And does that also mean that people are travelling within Australia to another jurisdiction for a surrogacy um, birth? Yes. Yes, good point. Sorry, I missed this. So surrogacy is a matter of the states and territories in Australia. So there's actually no federal legislation on it. It's all state by state. Generally speaking, there's like a kind of like an overview that is similar in the sense of, you know, that commercial surrogacy is criminalised, only altruistic surrogacy is allowed. But in terms of surrogate and intended parent eligibility, that's where we mainly see the differences between states. Surrogacy is now legal in all states and territories, but it was only became legal in the Northern Territory at the end of very end of last year. So there was it took about thirty years for surrogacy to actually become legal in all countries. Oh, sorry, in all jurisdictions in Australia. Um, and in terms of the eligibility criteria, you're totally right, Ruthie. People will just they'll try they'll circumvent the laws. Um, for example, if like same sex male couples. In Western Australia, they'll just do surrogacy overseas. Um, they, so you know how I said it for every one child that's born here in Australia, four are born overseas. In Western Australia, it's actually a lot higher. So it's like for every one child that's born in surrogacy in Western Australia, I think it's eight that are born overseas because they're just so restrictive in their surrogacy laws. And for intended parents in Australia, it's around like 40% same-sex male couples, 40% heterosexual couples, 10% Um. So, yeah, and then also for, like, another example, the interview participants we had, um, so they were a surrogate living in a state where it was a law that you had to have given birth to your own child, but that's not the same law in every other state. So this surrogate was like, oh, I can't actually access a surrogate. That's such a shame. But they were able to still enter a surrogacy agreement with intended parents that just lived in a different state because the laws go by the state that the intended parents lived in. So the surrogate could still live at home during the pregnancy, but she had to travel for conception to the other state. It's just, so it's so silly. So like these laws are 
they're in place, they're just causing inconvenience, but they're really easy to get around and people circumvent them because there's just no basis for them really. Um, and so we definitely need to have a lot more uniformity. That answers um, our third question quite nicely, actually, which is what are some solutions from government that need <laughs> needs to happen in order to solve this research problem you're going through? And it sounds like we need to have some uniformity in laws. Maybe we need to have our health ministers sit down for a chat about how to best regulate this, because clearly they're not penalising people for travelling interstate, which means they don't really care that much, which is not a good way to legislate because the burdens are significantly um, held by the individuals who should not be burdened with these problems. Mm. Now, are there any other government solutions that we've missed discussing? I think that is all, but the biggest one I want to say and just press on again is Medicare rebates. Um, there was an article that came out recently talking about the news. I think there's some lobbying going on at the moment. Um, and so I just want to say that that is very unfair that people are excluded from getting Medicare rebates if they're part of a surrogacy arrangement and the laws need to get changed. And the only reason it's the case anyway is because when the Medicare items got created, surrogacy was illegal. So they just go, they've just never been updated. So there's actually not a good enough reason for it to be the case. But yes, yeah, so I just highlight that in the case that someone is listening and can do something about it. Um, that's a really good point. Um, it's so crazy how things become, we were talking about this in the abortion episode with Casey Haney, and it's like something becomes legalised, that doesn't mean it's actually accessible. And by not providing accessible healthcare, it's a way to continue to penalise people for seeking controversial healthcare, um, mm -hmm. which is incredibly unfair and discriminatory. So Thank you. Hopefully there's someone listening to the podcast who can do something. Yeah. Um, we have one final question. Ruthie, did you want to ask this one? I was just going to add as an aside, I know that for because my research area is voluntary assisted dying and there isn't necessarily Medicare codes for that either. So I think we need to collectively lobby um, the federal government to reinsert some new Medicare codes for, for different contexts. So just to add that, but Final question is what does the everyday person need to know about this? What information would really assist them um, to kind of arm themselves with some relevant knowledge about this area? Yeah, great question. I think that's really relevant to surrogacy because there's a lot of misconceptions going around it. Um, and there's just two misconceptions I think I want to touch on today. The first is that a lot of people incorrectly believe that surrogacy is not possible in Australia. Either that's because they think it's illegal or just because it's so hard it's not possible to do. Um, and two comments I want to make. It is legal. We do allow it here in Australia. Um, and it is possible. It's just that it's a really long and lengthy process, which is not ideal. Obviously, we do want to try and improve access. But, yes, surrogacy is legal in this country. It's not something that's all oh, shouldn't be illegal my opinion anyway. Um, and then the second myth is that, which I think is the biggest one, is that the surrogate won't want to hand over the baby. And it's just not true. It is more, if a, someone wants to have a baby, they're not going to do a surrogacy arrangement. Like there are way other easier <laughs> ways, quicker, you know, ways to have a child. Um, the surrogate doesn't want to have the child. The surrogate goes into this arrangement they don't even conceptualise the baby as their own. It's like it's the intended parent's baby. I'm just looking after it, for example, the nine months, almost like a babysitter or, you know, you're caring for it. But it's never, they never conceptualise it as their child. So they're never actually giving up their child. Um, and it's actually more likely the intended parents will not want to take a child than it is the sorry, to keep the child. 
So um, I get why people have these misconceptions um, and they are very common, but I just think we need to be having more conversations about what the reality of surrogacy is and actually listening to the voices of those that have been surrogates and those that are born through surrogacy and parents through surrogacy um, rather than relying on maybe traditional views on motherhood and parenthood. I'm so glad you said uh, you just debunked that second myth because I think that was something that was subliminal or unconscious in the back of my brain, maybe from, you know, um, Hollywood movies, you know, um, what that Chicago medicine TV show that I binged one weekend back in like fourth year of law school. And yeah, it was definitely in the back of my head that, oh, you know, surrogacy might be contentious because the um, the surrogate, you know, I think people used to call it like the surrogate mother. Like, I don't, I don't know why, but... I had it in my bread, in my bread, in my head <laughs> that, yeah, that they would, they wouldn't want to give it up, but it's so interesting to know that that's not true. And I'm so glad you said that. So thank you for debunking a myth for me. <laughs> um, that was really, really helpful. Ruthie, do you have anything else you want to add? No, just to say that I agree. I had no idea. And I was fascinated to hear that it's more likely that the intended parents won't actually take the child. Like that is absolutely something I had never heard. So thank you. That was fascinating. Um, but also just the chance of either in Australia is like pretty much non-existent. Like yeah. the vast majority go well. Just to, yeah. <laughs> I think you've highlighted throughout the podcast that it's can be a really, really positive experience for people and people are just trying to do their best and make the best decisions that they can and maybe some more information about how it works in Australia um, as you flag would be really useful for people who might be considering going overseas. So thank you so, so, so much for speaking with us today. It was really great to hear from you. Your PhD is fascinating. So good. Congratulations <laughs> and good luck for the last few months of it. Thank you. I'm going to need it. Thank you both very much for having me on today. I appreciate it. Our absolute pleasure. All right. Bye. Bye.